uh, man, guys, it is fun to be with you. Uh, we were, I <laughs> know, that was a silly joke. I'm sorry I made that. Just distracted everyone. Uh, man, worship was rocking tonight. That was just sweet to get to watch you guys worship the king of the universe, the God who made you and loves you. Like that was really sweet. Um, would we do something real quick? Hey, if you have sponsored a Compassion Kid before tonight, would you just raise your hand? I just want to see who's in the room. Just raise it high. I mean, it's, it's not a popularity contest. We're not saying that you're more faithful or better Christians, but hey, just notice, look, that's awesome. Thank you. Guys, um, this is a picture of my Compassion Kid. This is Benny. He's, um, he lives in Togo, which is in Western Africa. And it was actually when I was a sophomore in college when I decided to sponsor a Compassion Kid to sponsor Benny. His birthday was actually on November 10th. So homeboy just turned uh, 14, which is crazy, I think. I can't remember. I'm bad at math, wasn't a math major. Um, but Compassion truly is one of our most favorite ministry partners that we just get to partner with. And again, we're not trying to guilt anyone into giving. The mission statement of Vertical is to ignite passion in college students for Jesus Christ, his church, and his mission around the world. We just want to tell you what he's doing. We just want to put people in front of you and ministries in front of you so you can see how God is moving all over this world, how he's moving through faithful brothers and sisters all over this world, and we just want to invite you into that. That's simply all tonight is, is just to tell you some stories of how God is moving through this one particular ministry and invite you into that. And biblically, there are two things that are really clear when we look at the topic of money or generosity. We, we see two things. We see one, uh, this idea of stewardship. So in Psalm 50, uh, verse 11, we just see the cattle on a thousand hills are the Lord's. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is his. He owns everything. So our money isn't our money. It's his money that he's entrusted to us. So there's this biblical idea of stewardship, which is being entrusted with something that's not ours and to use it wisely and rightly and in a way that honors whose it is. So we just here at Vertical want to just be good stewards of everything that the Lord's given us our talents, our time, our treasure. And this is what we would want you to know, that your Bible teaches you to be a good steward, to think like a good steward, to not just when you get a paycheck and when you get Christmas money, be like, okay, great. Now I've already thought about how I'm gonna spend this. I'm gonna get that new pair of kicks. But to pause and to prayerfully consider, Lord, what would you do? What would you have me do with your money? How would you have me use this and steward it and spend it? in such a way that honors you and doesn't just think that I'm the owner of it. No, you're the owner of it. So the first idea we see in our Bibles is just this idea of stewardship. The things we've been entrusted with is responsibility. And we wanna be faithful stewards of what the Lord's given us. And then the second idea is just this idea of generosity. So it's in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through seven, which just says, and this is the point, that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whatever souls abund- sows abundantly will reap abundantly. Each one must decide in his own heart what he must give, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. 
So in the Old Testament, right, there was this idea of tithing, so giving 10%, and that's what you're supposed to do, and that doesn't just go away, but in the New Testament, there's this idea of generosity. Hey, we just want to be generous people. We want to be known for our generosity. We want to live lives that are marked by generosity in all things, not just with money. But if you hear that number, right, hey, it's $40 a month. Man, when I was in college, my rent was $150 a month, and I still almost couldn't pay that. You're like, how did that happen? We packed eight dudes into one room. You know, like, that's the only reason we had cheap rent like that. But you might be thinking, $40, that's a lot of money. And I know when I was in college, the first thing that I was popping up, the first things that were coming through my head were all the reasons why I couldn't pay that. All the reasons why I couldn't do $40. But New Testament ideas of generosity, that should spin it upside down on its head. And we should be thinking of all the ways that we could do that. How could we make that happen? What if we pitched in as a house? What if all of us sponsored one kid? What if I asked my parents, hey, for Christmas, this is what I would want, to sponsor one child. Would you go in on this with me? Would you go split this halfway for all of college? Would you just help me do this? And what if we were just creative in the ways that we could do it instead of being so quick to say, I can't. And that's the biblical idea of generosity. How can I leverage everything to help and bless others? Now, what I was learning in, as a sophomore in college, man, that, that money that I was spending, you see, Benny needed it. I just wanted it. Benny needed that money to go to school, to have resources, to have clothes and to have food. And I just wanted an extra Chipotle bowl. And that's what I was sacrificing. That's what I was giving up. And that was an easy sacrifice so that his needs could be met. So I don't know <laughs> what the Lord is doing in you to respond. And that's okay. That's up to you and the Lord, not to anyone else. Don't look about who raised their hand and be like, they raised their hand, so maybe I should. No, hey, what's the Lord doing in you? And it might be to respond to partner with compassion tonight, and it might not, and that's okay. We're not trying to pressure anyone into that. We just, again, simply want to invite you into two biblical ideas, stewardship and generosity. But tonight we're wrapping up a series and I have uh, like nine minutes. So here we go. We're wrapping up a series called Letters to a Younger Me. And for the past six weeks, we've been looking at the letter of 2 Timothy as an older, wiser Paul has been writing instruction and lessons to his protege, to his mentee, Timothy. And we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8 tonight. And we're going to be looking at this idea of finishing faithfully. Finishing faithfully. I was actually grabbing coffee with a guy this, uh, this afternoon, and he was telling me that he had ran 10 miles the other week. And I was like, that's disgusting. You are sick in the head. Like, just the idea of running makes me want to vomit. Like, I just am not a runner. I'll never be a runner. I ran one 5K once, and it was the last 5K I'll ever run in my entire life. And he was just telling me what it all took to run. And I was like, man, you know what? That sounds like a lot of steps. You did a lot of prep. That's really fascinating to learn all the things that you did, and I don't want to do it. And uh, this last few verses... 
Paul is going to instruct Timothy. He's going to give him tips on how to finish the race, on how to run well. So we're going to look at six different tips, six different instructions on how to faithfully finish. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8 with me. It says this. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we're looking at six points tonight, which I know is so crazy because I have five minutes, so bear with me. But here they are. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Just kidding, that's Friday Night Lights. (laughs) Okay, I can't make jokes, we gotta keep going. Okay, that's Friday Night Lights. The six points are this. You have to have a sharp mind, thick skin, a soft heart, skilled hands, an eternal perspective, And you have to adore the Savior. If you and I want to finish well, we have to have these six things. Let's look at the first one, sharp mind. Paul just talks about being sober-minded. In Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, it says, Make the best use of time, for the days are evil. You know what that verse is telling us? That verse is telling us that idle time is idle time. I-D-L-E time is I-D-O-L time. Hey, when there are days when you have nothing going on and you are sitting by yourself in your room locked up, that is the time for temptation. That is the enemy's playground. That is when our hearts want to gravitate to anything and attach ourselves to anything other than Jesus. We so badly want to find satisfaction in other things. So when we are idle, sitting on our hands, not doing anything, that is when our idols come out to play. That's what he's saying, is that you have to be sober-minded. You have to be alert. So you have to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. The things you're paying attention to quite possibly will tell you and reveal what you are worshiping. If there are idols in your life, or if you're worshiping and using your time wisely, to worship your God and King. So he instructs us to be sober-minded. Let's keep going. The second thing he says is to have thick skin, that you've got to endure suffering. You've got to endure suffering. There is going to be difficulties and trials and hardships in your life. Remember, where is Paul writing this from? Prison. He's got shackles on his wrists and on his ankles. He is about to be persecuted to death that he is going to his death sentence and he is writing this to endure suffering. And what we need to know about enduring suffering is that suffering's coming, it's coming. That you are either walking through a storm, you're either in a storm or a storm is about to come. That is just the reality of life, that hardships and trials are inevitable, they are coming. And what we want to learn, what he is encouraging Timothy as he is saying, hey, don't allow these things to lead you away from the Lord. Let trials and hardships and persecutions and difficulties lead you to the Lord. Don't let them lead you away from the Lord. 
He's not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. But there is a God of all comfort who can comfort you in your affliction. So run to him in trials. And then he's going to tell us that we need to have a soft heart. We need to have a soft heart. He says, do the work of an evangelist. In order to do the work of an evangelist, you and I have to have soft hearts. Why? Because we have to be well acquainted with the reality that there is sin in this world. We have to be well acquainted with the fact that the penalty of sin is death and that there are people who do not know Jesus Christ. And because they do not know Jesus, they will be eternally separated from him because they have not received the free gift of salvation. So our hearts have to break for those who have not yet heard. Those who have not yet heard the good news. Two of the best evangelists I know in my entire life are a middle schooler and a high school student, truly. Their names are Emmy and Hudson Ramsey and they live in Frisco, Texas and they are so faithful to share the gospel. Everywhere we go, when I'm with them and they go to the grocery store, they share the gospel with people who are uh, looking for canned vegetables and things like that. And like the cashier, they are so faithful to share the gospel. They are so bold. They don't care about rejection. They care so much about sharing the gospel. And I've had conversations with them. I'm like, Emmy, Hudson, why do you share the gospel with people so much? And they just look at me and they're like, Miles, if we don't, who will? And they just have such soft hearts to share good news with people who might not know. Paul then says we have to have skilled hands. Skilled hands. He says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. He doesn't say, fulfill my ministry. He doesn't say, fulfill Peter's ministry. He says, fulfill your ministry. So the Lord has gifted you and I uniquely, individually, differently. And you are running races that I will never run. You are in lanes that I am not in. So run hard and faithfully and fulfill your ministry. How has the Lord equipped you? What has the Lord given you? How has he uniquely gifted you? What is your story? What have you struggled with? How has he redeemed that? Use those things to magnify him. You see, comparison is not comparing your race to someone else's. Comparison, what it should be, is comparing our race to what God has called us to. Comparison should be comparing our race to what the Lord has called us to. And are we running in the way that the Lord has called us to run? That's what faithfully being his disciple looks like. Not trying to run anyone else's race, but to run the race that he has called you to. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So identify what you're good at and get really good at it. Practice it a lot. Do it so that you'll have more opportunity. If you're really good at business and finance, get really good at business and finance so you can be in rooms that I'll never be in and you can share the gospel with CEOs and C-suite level people. If you're really good at biology and chemistry, go be a doctor 
or a pharmacist or do things where you are gonna be with patients every single day. The Lord has equipped that you uniquely get really good at that. Fulfill your ministry. The last or the next thing that Paul is gonna tell Timothy, he's gonna say you have to have an eternal perspective. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. You see that idea of being poured out as a drink offering that comes from Numbers 15 when the Israelites, they had a bunch of sacrifices and ceremonies. And one of the things that they would do is they would have drink offerings that they would take a cup of wine and they would pour it over a fire so that it would uh, be a sweet aroma to the Lord, that it would go up into flame and be a sweet aroma, that it would be worship. And when they would pour that glass, when they would pour that cup, they would empty it completely. Like they would dump it, douse it, everything, every last drop. And Paul is saying, hey, I've poured myself out. Everything in my life has been for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the gospel. I'm not leaving anything behind. I'm not going 98% in with him and leaving this 2% for just me. No, it's all his. Why? Because he knows that this isn't his home. He knows that he's going to live eternally with God. So he's living on earth differently because he knows he has an eternal perspective. He knows the end in mind. He knows that he's already victorious, that he's already won, that he's gonna be with Jesus. So he's laying it all out for Jesus here on earth. He's living with eternal perspective. And then uh, as he's unpacking this, I really think that he has this idea that anything less than full devotion is disobedience. Like, I really think that's what he's saying. Anything less than full devotion to Jesus is disobedience. He asks us and calls us to be a drink offering, to pour ourselves out completely to him, to pursue him and to know him and to love him. Not one foot in, not one foot out, not halfway, everything, all of it. All of my life for all of life that every category, every room, every bucket is his for every single day of my life. And then lastly, Paul is gonna instruct Timothy to adore the savior, to adore the savior. He says this, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That crown of righteousness, what Paul's talking about, it's this Greek word called stephanos, which means crown of victory. And um, there's another passage in Revelation that talks about these crowns, whether it's a crown of glory or a crown of righteousness, or a crown of glory or whatever. In, in Revelation 4.10, it says this. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, 
Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. You see, the crowns that we get here on earth that we'll receive in heaven, the first initial reaction we'll have once we're reunited with Jesus in heaven is to throw it at his feet. Because it's not about the crown. The crown was never the prize. The works have never been the treasure. Jesus is our treasure. And it shouldn't be a new posture of us to hit our knees when we see Jesus in heaven. That should not be the first time we do that. We should live lives of adoration to our God to our King, to our Savior. That is what we want to do faithfully. It's the hardest thing about following Jesus is staying in love with him. You gotta fight familiarity. You gotta fight your rhythms and your schedules and your Christian routines. You gotta fight to stay in love with him. You are called to adore the Savior. It's what you were made to do. It's what we are called to do. So in summary, as I invite the band back up, man, Paul encourages Timothy with six things that you have to have a sharp mind, thick skin, soft heart, skilled hands, an eternal perspective, and you've got to adore the Savior. If you and I want to finish faithfully. Guys, there's someone who finished well. There's someone who finished faithfully on our behalf. Jesus on the cross was crucified on a tree that nails were driven through his wrists and through his feet and he hung up there and bled and died for you and for me and while we've been encouraged by Paul's last words, Jesus' last words were, it is finished. What was finished? What was finished was eternal separation. That now we could be reunited with him. That the penalty had been paid. He was the perfect sacrifice that we could never be that the wrath of God was satisfied and the grace of God was displayed through a cross. And Jesus, while hanging there, thinks of you and me, thinks of us in our sin, where we're dead in trespasses and gives us a way to life and restored and right and renewed relationship with him. And he says to tell us that it is finished. So because of the faithfulness of Christ, we now have an example of what it looks like to finish faithfully in all things. Hey, pray with me that we would reflect on Christ's work on the cross tonight. Jesus, thank you for taking our place.
Jesus, thank you for dying a death we deserve. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life so that we could have life and be restored to our God, to our King, to our Creator, forgiven, seen as righteous and justified in your eyes. Father, would your example of faithfulness all the way to the point of death on a cross, would your example of faithfulness and seeing it be finished, would that encourage us and inspire us tonight? Would you give us eyes and hearts for an eternal perspective that causes us to live radically different here on earth? Would we make the most of our days? Would we use them wisely? Would we not use them for ourselves, King Jesus, but would we use them for you? So Father, help us to rest in the grace that you offer us tonight. Father, help us to do that tonight, we pray. Amen.